Welcome to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Auburn. As always, huge show for you today. Later on uh, in the second segment, we'll be joined by the head coach of FC Cincinnati, Pat Noonan. First, though, Kindred, we, we have a mountain of things to talk about. There was a trade uh, yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday, so for those of you that, that missed it, Chase Gasper was traded to LA Galaxy uh, on deadline day yesterday. We'll, we'll cover that shortly. Uh, the upcoming game against Cincinnati, we have a Champions League winner now in Major League Soccer. But first, let's talk about last weekend, shall we? A 2-0 defeat for Minnesota United. Away to LAFC, what were your initial takeaways from it? Well, I've, I kind of felt like it was the tale of two halves. And, and even the start of the second half, it felt like Minnesota United had some momentum there. And and it just seemed like the way they were going about it, they were on the front foot early on in the match. Dane St. Clair, again, was was fabulous. But in general, from an attacking perspective, there were chances created. Um, I thought from, if you look at the end stats, it might be one of those games that doesn't truly tell the full story for me because I think that it didn't seem as lopsided as the stats will show. And that if Minnesota had capitalized on some of their chances, and I know Adrian says it, and I know we're not Nostradamus here, and we're kind of stating the obvious, but goals do change games. Mm. And if one of those early on or even early in the second half, we saw Robin had a couple opportunities. If one of those goes in, you just wonder how that changes the match. How does LAFC have to play to try to come back and get that win to get something from it? And instead, it was really more about LAFC in the second half and the, when Minnesota didn't capitalize. LAFC kind of smelled blood in the water and pedaled to the metal late in the match, scored the two late goals. Um, but ultimately, it felt like there was something to be had from that game for Minnesota. And we saw that happen against LAFC way back, was it 2019, 2020? No, it must have been 2019 because it was pre-pandemic when Mason Toy had those like insane finishes. You see goals like that go in, and it completely changes the game when you're going on the road to a tough place to play like LAFC against that roster it was different then, but same kind of quality. It changes the game when you put those quality chances, those opportunities away, and it just didn't happen for Minnesota, and it felt like I, I liked the lineup. I liked how it looked. I, I thought that was a good lineup to go with against this LAFC side. It was going to create goals, um, and they just couldn't find a way to get it done, and they get shut out. Well, why do you say that? Why was that lineup? And for those who are unaware, it was Bunga Kutli Fongwani on the left, Dunladi on the right-hand side, Robin Lud led the line ahead of Emmanuel Reynoso, and then uh, Josef Rosales was into the centre of midfield because Will Trapp was suspended. What, what, why was, was that a good lineup for you? Well, I do think they were missing Will Trapp. Wasn't, that wasn't a choice. You know, that wasn't a choice putting Will Tra uh, Rosales in. And, and there's nothing wrong with Rosales in the middle, but I think yes. Will Trapp and, and, Trapp and his uh, veteran leadership and his quality and in the way he sits and he holds and he stays and directs traffic. And there's a lot of things that don't show up on a stat sheet that Will Trapp does, much like we would talk about with Ozzy Alonso. He puts himself in the right position so then the other team doesn't even think about making a certain pass because there's already someone there covering that space. So I think maybe you were missing that a little bit with Will Trapp. I also think there's a chemistry that's developing between Ariaga and Will Trapp that takes time to develop in those um, central midfield positions, especially when you're trying to cover behind a player like Reynoso, who's very free-flowing, goes side to side. Then you have Longwane, which, I mean, I just like him more and more every time he steps on the pitch, and I think he's proven to be a super sub off the bench with some energy and pace and can get in behind, take players on. He can cut inside if he needs to, always finding the pass, which initially it was all dribble for me from him and not enough passing, and I think now he's starting to read the game and his teammates a little bit better and finding those through balls and he tried to find Robin a little bit 
um, early on in, in playing some ba- balls into space, and Robin maybe didn't quite have the pace to get in on the end of those. Um, but I think there's a calmness about him on the ball. There's a technical ability about him in the ball. And Abu, I think, was the right choice, too, for the similar reasons in the sense that he's got the pace. He's got the pace to get in behind that back line. The outside backs for LAFC like to bomb forward and get in on the attack. And if you can take advantage of that ball in transition and use that pace to get in behind, which they may not have done quite enough with a player like Abu and, and Huang Wani on the left, um, I think that that was a good choice. And Robin, I think, just... Um, there's a sureness about him normally when, when he's attacking and when he gets in and around the box on the edge of the 18. There's a chemistry between him and Reynoso. They've done it over the past couple seasons when Robin's played up top, and that's what I liked about Robin being up there. And It wasn't necessarily like, well, I think he fits best with these two center backs, although Robin is good with his back-to-goal kind of posting up. We saw him get a couple balls almost at midfield, direct balls that he was laying back to Reynoso or taking a touch, making the turn and finding the space out wide. But um, I I just like nine times, 9.9 times out of 10, Robin will finish any chance he gets. And when you're on the road against LAFC and you're a team that needs to score goals, find goals and finish them, I would rely on Robin because he is reliable and he just didn't put those away today or against LAFC. But I think that that was the right way to go from an attacking perspective I still, I'm a little bewildered sometimes about Reynoso because I, I always touted his defensive, his willingness to work defensively. And I think I've seen that drop off just a little bit, win the ball back, especially when he's the one losing it. And he lost the ball a few times in positions where he shouldn't. And his teammates were caught, you know, out of position because of that. So, um, but, you know, that's, we've talked about this. If Reynoso's going to turn the ball over trying to create something, I have no problem with that. But when he's turning the ball over with no pressure, that's a different scenario. So I like the pace on the outside. I like the possession um, on the outside. And I like Robin up top because he's just consistent. He can play um, in and around the, the center backs. He can make the runs into the wide spaces. He knows if Ray comes inside that, you know, or drops out. Like, he just knows where to be when Ray's on the field. And, I think that's a benefit. I think the biggest thing for me against LAFC, uh, and I'd put something on social media about it during the match, was it was abundantly obvious, at least in my opinion, that uh, Will Trapp was was missed big time. And and I know you've mentioned this already briefly, but um, from a positional standpoint, um, so often I thought LAFC found the ball on the edge of the penalty area far too often. and, And I counted at least three, maybe even four, efforts from the edge of the penalty area that Dane St. Clair had to make a save or one of the centre-halves were drawn out and had to make a block of some sort. Um, with Will Trapp in the side, I don't think that happens as often as, as it did uh, over the weekend in LA. Um, so I thought from a, a positional point of view, Will Trapp was missed massively and, and, and his um, from a, a defensive point of view, I thought he was really, really missed. But also as well, like I, I understand why Longwane and Dan Ladi were played in the wide areas. We've already seen they provide an abundance of energy off the bench. That They were deserving of an opportunity for sure. But from a, a tactics breakdown point of view, I understand going direct in Los Angeles because they, they play three in the centre of midfield. And Minnesota usually match up with them three in the centre of midfield. And I was a little surprised they didn't um, last weekend. Um, perhaps the reason for that is because I thought, having seen the eleven. I thought the idea would be to go direct and find the channels, find the wide players either sides um, of Robin Lud, uh, of um, Manuel Reynoso rather. Um, with Will Trapp in the side, you can do that because Will Trapp, um, uh, people uh, I think at, at times 
don't give him enough credit for his passing ability. But when you go direct and you've got pace, as Minnesota did in Los Angeles, um, Will Trapp is somebody who can deliver those direct passes. You don't have to go through the lanes. You don't have to go um, in between the, the gaps in the pockets to find the wide players because Will Trapp can absolutely ping balls forward and find those wide players and go in behind. Should that be Ariaga though, in a game like that? This is my point, is that I don't think Minnesota had somebody who was... Um, I don't think they had a distributor in the centre of midfield. Uh, and look, I think, I'm a big fan of Ariaga. I think he's top class. And, and Rosales is coming along nicely as well. But I think it showed how much they missed Will Trapp in Los Angeles over the past weekend. Um, because I think the game plan, at, at least from when I saw the eleven, was to do exactly that. Go direct, hit the ball into the channels, test the fullbacks, have Dunlady and Longwane go at them. And I don't think Minnesota had enough of an opportunity to do that because I don't think there was a distributor in the centre of midfield. And it's crazy because I think we've seen Ariaga do that a few times in training and, and specifically I remember the first game of the, the year in Philadelphia. Like he was pinging those balls. He can hit that direct diagonal ball and I don't know if he just didn't have enough time and space to do it, if he's lost sort of the comfort level of doing that when Will is in there. You know, Will kind of takes on that role. But I agree with you when you're trying to find that, because it has to be a deeper-lying midfield role. This mm-hmm. isn't a Emmanuel Reynoso ball when mm-hmm. he's pushing up higher. But the other thing is, I thought there were water restrictions in California. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me with how much water was on that field? And I don't know. I mean, I'm not there standing at it. But, I mean, that ball was flying when it would hit the turf. But, I, again, that's no excuse not to hit a direct diagonal ball. I'm sort of being funny, tongue-in-cheek. But, yeah, you've got that kind of pace on the outside. You've got to take advantage of those situations. And I do think, yeah, they were missing that kind of pinged ball diagonally, not even from central. When you're starting all the way on the left-hand side, and we've seen other teams, you know, a few sixes do this on other teams that can just, and it's amazing how it just completely throws the opposition off because the defense is so out of position and they can't shift quickly enough um, when that deep diagonal ball is played in. So um, the other individual I thought that um, I thought performed well was Kamal Lawrence at left-back for Minnesota United. Um, We'll no longer have competition at left back from a certain Chase Gasper who if you missed on Wednesday on deadline day in Major League Soccer was traded over to LA Galaxy we, we believe it's for around about 450,000 in general allocation money there's some performance incentives in there as well um, this is a tough one to take Kay because he, he, he was such a beloved character within the football club and, and the fans seem to really embrace him as well but I can't help but think from the money that Minnesota United have got for a player who I think wouldn't be considered a regular first-team player because of the addition of Kamar Lawrence, I can't help but think this was a smart move to make. Yeah, and I think we all kind of feel the same way. Of course, you don't want to see Chase Gasper go. I mean, he is, as you said, beloved. He always had a smile on his face. First one to say good morning if you saw him walking onto the pitch. Um, Just an incredible human being on top of being a consistent performer in the outside back role. He was one of those guys, and I remember in 2019 when he first came on, there was a little bit of an injury concern, a little bit of an issue. He maybe started off the season a little bit slow from an injury standpoint, but then once he stepped on that pitch, never missed a beat, hard tackle. You could always rely on him for that. Um, a learner, wanted to listen, the willingness to do the work, both sides of the ball, get forward and attack, drop back and defend. And then I think that as time went on, you knew you needed depth in that position, and at this moment in time, it just so happened that the depth in that position that was brought in is Kamar Lawrence, who has proved to be a really valuable pickup. 
and you never know how it's going to go. This is a guy who wasn't playing a whole ton, was sitting in Jamaica, maybe on the beach or something, but we know what he's capable of. He got brought in, he fit right in with the group, um, can get in on the attack and defend well. So all those things. And so now you have that. And I think you stated this on social media, you've got Debassi who clearly started at left back early in the season. Now we know that he can play there if necessary. Mm -hmm. You have O'Neill Fisher that can play on either side. So um, I think that this was just one of those moves that was probably too good to pass up for the coaching staff in this moment. And you, of course you wish Chase Gasper all the, the best and whatever his future endeavor is. And I know he's with LA galaxy now, but um, I think that he's going to succeed wherever he is as a person, as a player, and um, they'll embrace him. And I, I know he'll be fantastic wherever he goes. Yeah. I think we all think the same with regards to this, don't we? And, and we say good luck to Chase Gasper. It was wonderful to have you around and he's going to be missed here for sure. Um, the question is now then, Kay, as, as we've sort of said, there's an abundance of depth in that position. But Kamal Lawrence, the signing of the Jamaican, straight away, I thought, put a question mark on, on Chase Gasper's future here. This is no real surprise to me. I know, well, we both know there were suitors even prior to the season starting that, that had inquired about Chase Gasper and his availability. Um, I think at this moment in time, for what we're told that they traded for and the money they've got for him. And let's not forget the salary relief as well in a salary cap league. It just strikes me as a really good deal for Minnesota United. Now the hope is, is that Kamal Lawrence will continue on this trajectory because so far he's been wonderful. Yeah, and I think we all know that this is a long season. This is a marathon, not a sprint. There's a lot of games. A lot is asked of the fullbacks in Adrian Heath's system. And we've seen Roma Metanier struggle with some injuries over the, you know, basically since the playoff game last season, but he was always kind of on the verge of a hamstring injury with the way the players are asked to play and as they continue to get up there in age. So I think for Kamar Lawrence, if he can continue doing what he's done in this first handful of games, he has not missed a beat. He has beautiful service from distance. He's willing to make the runs forward, um, tracks back defensively. I bet if you asked Abasi, he's pleased with Kamar Lawrence's performance because a lot of that is about the center back, outside back pairing. You can't just have a guy that likes to go forward but forget gets to track back and so I think Tabasi and Boxler are going to be appreciative of what Kamar Lawrence has been able to provide on both sides of the ball and also the more consistent you can start to play that outside back the better the players are in front of him now if you consistently play let's say Hlongwani continue to start on that left hand side or if you even threw Fragapane back in there whoever it is in the outside midfield positions the more they get time together the more they learn the capabilities the more they learn where they want the ball when they want the ball when are they going to make the run when are they not when do I need to stay home and defend and cover for Kamar Lawrence if he goes forward all these things when you get time spent together and Kamar has been fantastic same thing smile on his face every day when he shows up to work him and O'Neill Fisher I'm sure it was nice to see a familiar face from the Jamaican national team and um, I think that this is just something that he's happy to be here and the club is happy to have him. Talking of smiling you know where there's going to be plenty of that? Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Because Seattle Sounders again for those of you unaware uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon yesterday we're able to defeat Pumas Unam from Liga MX in the CONCACAF Champions League final. And for the first time since CONCACAF rebranded their premier competition and it became the Champions League, Major League Soccer has a winner. They had several that came very close, the likes of Real Salt Lake, LAFC, Montreal Impact over the years, Toronto FC as well, all got to the final and failed. Seattle Sounders did it. Um, this is incomparable 
in terms of what this means for Major League Soccer because I, I woke up this morning, Kay, from from texts from from England and, and Europe and people saying, "Oh wow, great! You know, finally Major League Soccer has has, has won the the Champions League in their region." What this provides is instant recognition, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I think that um, we were watching the game last night, and you're just watching the the joy and the celebration and the emotion, and not just after they won it, but after every goal. And I think that there was a real sense of accomplishment. And these players are players that have accomplished things on a lot of different levels, whether it's in the United States with MLS, bringing MLS Cup, you know, to their to their trophy case or whether it was playing wherever they're from whether it's Argentina or otherwise and they've experienced high level competition in tournaments and they know what this means to win the CCL they know what this means to bring this trophy to major league soccer it's almost like this was a trophy for the league yes. not necessarily for Seattle it's going to go in their case yep. but it is about the league and the growth of this league and the fact that everybody on that Seattle roster felt that whether they were from America in the United States or whether from somewhere else they know the importance of the, this moment for them and for the league and I think that you could sense it the occasion of it the emotion around it everybody was top class in the game you had you know Brian Schmetzer talk about being called upon from a, a um, tactical standpoint when you have some of your key players go down with injury and you can fill in guys and put guys, knew who goes out. Mm. Um, you know, Joao Paulo, who's basically the glue to that group, goes out with an injury. And you can slot other guys in who have been in big occasions, whether they were young or, you know, middle of the road, like Kellen Rowe. You know, Kellen Rowe's been around in an eternity. Great spot to be able to put him at left back in that moment. But then you have a youngster and a teenager in the middle of the park and Obed Vargas. And they didn't look out of place because they had been in some big games leading up to this, some MLS games, some first-team games. And I think that um, this just means an incredible amount for this league. And, and we talked to Pat Noonan before we chatted with him, you know, just talking to him sort of off record about the game last night. And he's just, he, he knows he's been in this league a long time as far as what this means for this league to have that trophy. And what a moment. I mean, just complete joy on the field uh, from the players and the staff and, and what they put into it to get to this point. And I just think it's a, a major credit to um, Seattle to accomplish it and, and, and find a way to get it done. And I remember listening to um, Garth Lagerway on a podcast. I think it was Extra Time, and he was talking to those guys on Monday, maybe it was, saying they've build, been building towards this. They've been s spending time since maybe 2017 trying to build towards this and worked over the last year with their coaching staff and the training staff on an injury prevention, injury monitoring knowing that if you're going to have two or three games in a week and your best players are 30 or over, how do we get to that point and be successful? And they've, they nailed it. And nobody knew that it was going to happen that way. Nobody knew it was going to be 2022 per se. But I think that they've, this is what their goal was. This is what they were looking for. This is what they were trying for. And credit to them in the way they played. And they didn't just win. They won 3 nothing. And deservedly so that um, they found a way to get it done. It was fabulous. Everybody's going to concentrate for sure, as they should do, on the goals from Rui Diaz. Yes. And, and, and wherever else they came from as well, from when they were flying forward and they were in full flow, I thought they were, they were sensational at, at times. But um, I thought they were impeccably organised defensively. And, and you mentioned when knew who had to come off and João Paulo had to come off because of injury. I wondered if it would affect um, that defensive units because... When you take out regularity, 
sometimes it does cause disruption. Sometimes there isn't that element of consistency. Sometimes habits are, are disrupted and dismantled. And, and I thought the fact that, that Kellen Rowe came in, and I know he's, he's played a handful of, of games at fullback for the Sounders, but he's traditionally a central midfielder. The fact that he came in and was near flawless at left back, and the fact that 16, maybe 17 year old now, Obed Vargas, the, the point is he's very young, um, came in and operated in the manner in which he did. It, it just shows how deep this Sounders roster is, and they were all absolutely understanding of the assignment, and, and they absolutely deserve all the credit that will come their way. They were, I, I can't think of a better word other than, than impeccable for them, that they were stupendous. And and now one has to hope that this can be a, this can be a consistent thing for Major League Soccer, because it is going to take a couple of these to really start to, to compare both Major League Soccer and Liga MX um, in terms of... of the better league is. Can I ask you this though? Because you were just talking about you had people texting you from you know all over the world back mm. home, and clearly you've covered a lot of international football with mm. these other games that you're doing. How do you explain this to someone who is newer to soccer, but their kids are in it? Like I was explaining to someone last night, big game tonight, and they're like, "Oh, the Wild," and I'm like, "No, we got the, we got." Which understandably, so we're in Minnesota. It was a big game. I was trying to flip between three different games last night, you know. And then once the CCL game started, I was focusing on that one. But to explain to people that there's a tournament in the middle of the regular season that you're playing teams, club teams from other countries, and they're not their national teams. And how did they do this in between? And what does this mean? And aggregate goals and two legs. And like, you know, it's kind of a complicated thing if you're not in it. And I think once people embrace it, and I, I texted them last night, I'm like, turn on FS1 right now and watch this yeah. environment that's in Seattle. 68,000. The environment is incredible. The game is amazing. Like, and sometimes that's the only way that people that are getting into the sport and their kids may play soccer, but they may t- not totally understand the intricacies of what this worldwide game is in these other tournaments and international breaks and things. How do you explain that? You just got to see it? I'm probably the wrong person to ask (laughs) here because I I get extremely irritated that people don't understand it because it's just the way it is around the rest of the world. Right. Um, So, yeah, I'm not sure I'm the appropriate person to to answer this. You're rubbing your head over and over again that no one can see is probably, you know, sign enough. I just don't understand (laughs) how people don't understand it. Like, this is just how it works around the rest of the world. I get it's different to American sports, but American sports only operate in America. So... (laughs) Look at it from a world perspective. <laughs> I know. It, it drives me crazy. Um, I, I, I don't Never mind. We'll it. ask Manny on the, if we get him, you know, at some other on time. We'll ask, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. We'll exactly. ask him because, yeah, I'm the wrong person to, to ask because it just drives me mad. I understand that it's different. Or they hop on for the World Cup every four years, right? People yeah. that are like soccer fans, and I, and I appreciate the viewership and, you know, whatever for the World Cup. Totally love it. But I think that you really truly have to see it to understand it when we're talking about these other tournaments and how soccer works and international breaks and friendlies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is no, it's hard to explain it to people. They have to just witness it. Correct me if I'm wrong here. In this this country, all all I have seen um, for the last five years has been (laughs) that Americans want the best. They want the best sport and the best level available. I think a way to describe it would be that this is the best in the region. This is a tournament that is played legitimately across North and, and Central America, and it, it, it is the best in the region. So that's not a not a bad selling point at all. But I, I will never understand how people 
don't love this game after watching the amount of football we had yesterday with the UEFA Champions League and, and what Real Madrid did to Manchester City, the, the Conmebol Libertadores and, and the thrills and spills that provided yesterday and then into the CONCACAF Champions League final and, and the environment and the, the, the fluid nature of the football, um, even towards the very end when Ladero scored as well, it was just, it was mesmerising. I will never understand how people cannot get into it. Well, and this could be a whole other podcast because even <laughs> you and I, when we were traveling with the team, we would land at an airport, we'd fly commercial, and we would take an Uber to the hotel and our Uber driver would be a huge soccer fan. Yeah. Who's your team? Real Madrid, whatever. You know what I mean? Hey, Seattle's got a game tonight. What? Who's yeah. Se- I've not been to a Seattle game. So even within this own country, within the United States of America, with people that are huge soccer fans, but all they watch is EPL or, or Syria or, you know, yep. whatever you want to say. Like, getting them to embrace everything that is MLS and what they have going on, which part of which is CCL in this tournament that they're playing in. So I think it's still, it's still, you know, it's not just about people that are Americans and live in America. It's even people that come to America that are huge soccer fans embracing every, you know, how it operates here. I don't know. I I agree with you, but like, I, I just feel like that's a conversation that I've had you know, and I don't expect people to be able to sit at home all day and watch soccer games. Like, that's not, like, when I go to, you know, Addy's soccer practice or something, I get it. Like, people are doing other things during the day and, but, you know, maybe trying to tune in at night or recording something. But, you know, that's part of the conversations we try to have when we go to these other, yep. we go to her games in these tournaments because these are people and their kids love it and it's available now on all these platforms with stream, streaming mm-hmm. and everything else. So, it's it, it, nonetheless, it was a ridiculous moment last night to see that happen and to see them do that and to do it, no questions asked, three nothing at home in the second leg and just so much fun. I think ultimately what it comes down to, Kay, is perception. People will only watch the Premier League and Serie A, La Liga, what have you, um, because they have a skewed view of Major League Soccer. What changes that? is nights like last night and yep. Seattle Sounders winning the CONCACAF Champions League. What also changes that is you, the listener, absolutely taking people to Allianz Field and showing them that this is the real deal and Major League Soccer is absolutely now, in my opinion, a top 10 league in the world and it's only going to continue to grow. Um, so with that in mind, um, there is a game this Saturday at Allianz Field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, FC Cincinnati come to town against Minnesota United. Um, one quick question before we, we head to break, because we have uh, Pat Noonan, the head coach of FC Cincinnati, waiting for us. Um, what should we expect from this game? Because um, th- there is an expectation now at Allianz Field. Um, do we expect lineup changes? Do we expect... A comfortable victory? Do we expect irritation in the approach from Cincinnati, I wonder? Well, I think the the question mark for me is just going to be, does he go back to Luis Amaria up top? Mm. Um, I know in the pregame show before LAFC, there was a very specific reason why Robin Lode was playing and in, in the way that LAFC played in their center backs. And does he switch it up and go back to Luis Amaria, which is a little bit more your true number nine in that position and wanting to get goals, um, especially knowing that you're playing against an FC Cincinnati team that has played midweek, um, you're at home. Could this be an opportunity to get Luis Amaria going from an attacking perspective? Um, and he didn't play as many minutes against LAFC. So that would be one of my questions for me is, um, does he switch that up and maybe put Robin back out on the right-hand side? And I would keep Huang Wane on the left. I think that his energy is 
abundant. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have options. You've got Fragapani that you can put back out there as well. So I think, again, for Adrian Heath, it's just a bonus that you've got these options. You've got this quality depth. As far as we know, Hassani Dotson underwent successful surgery, so he's not going to be available, clearly. Um, I don't know what Roma Metzenir's availability is, so I would assume it's going to be uh, uh, O'Neill Fisher ag- again out there. But um, good things, and Will Trapp should be back. He wasn't hurt. He was suspended. So these are all good problems for Adrian Heath to have from a quality perspective. The biggest one for me would just, what does he do up top? Does right. he put Robin back on the right and put Luis up, up, up top there? Okay, well, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred de St. Aubin. Delighted now to be joined by the head coach of FC Cincinnati, Pat Noonan. Pat, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, Looking forward to to this conversation. Have been for some time now. Um, Coming off the back then of two victories against Toronto FC, I'm assuming the mood is fairly bright at FC Cincinnati at the moment. Winning helps. Winning <laughs> helps. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's you know, a club that's um, hasn't experienced enough of it. And, uh, you know, we're finding different ways to do it. It hasn't always been uh, pretty. We knew there was going to be a lot of challenges along the way. And, you know, the message was, you know, we're we're four, five and one. We're not great. So it's um, uh, nothing to write home about. But it's, I think, showing progress with this particular group and, and being able to, you know, find different ways to win games. And, um, you know, that that's moving us in the right direction, but it wasn't the goal to to eclipse the, the four wins from last year. So I'm certainly pleased with uh, the last two games in terms of getting, you know, six points and, and moving ourselves back up the table. But, um, you know, again, we haven't accomplished anything yet, but things are um, things are moving in the right direction. Well, we'll talk more about the the little bit of success that you found so far at FC Cincinnati because clearly you don't want to focus too much on just the wins with the expectations being higher. But what right. prepared you in this coaching career that you've had? And we could go back to, you know, we could go way back. You're playing time at Indiana, but then as an assistant coach for LA Galaxy, you're playing time with the Rev, you know New England Revolution and assistant coach with Philadelphia Union. When this coaching job came available with FC Cincinnati, what – what made you think that this is the job I got to take and I'm ready for this this challenge? Well, I think my my time as an assistant, you know, well, predating that, my time playing in this league to then become, you know, an assistant. So it was almost, you know, 20 years of experience and, and I needed all of those years of, of being an assistant and evolving as a coach and developing as a coach to – um, to be prepared for becoming a head coach. And, you know, I think there were conversations, there were interviews prior to this where, you know, maybe if things would have worked out, I'm not sure if I would have, you know, been prepared, if there would have been 
success uh, to follow. Um, so uh, I think the different experiences that I've had working, you know, with Bruce in LA, you know, with my first opportunity and then with the national team and, and having a little bit international experience and then going to Philly with a different uh, philosophy um, and, and way of working uh, that has helped, you know, um, kind of helped me to evolve and, and, and helped with my ideas of how I see the game and how I manage and lead. And <clears throat> I think that's, you know, what has prepared me for, you know, the role that I'm in now. And so um, I'm very um, fortunate to, to have an opportunity at a club where um, you have a very uh, ambitious ownership group um, that is providing the, the resources for our team to, to be successful. I mean, we have a, a world-class stadium, an incredible training facility. Um, you know, we're spoiled in a lot of ways. So um, I think, you know, all those years uh, in the league and as assistant has helped, um, you know, prepare me for this opportunity. And certainly we haven't done anything yet, but um, I, uh, I'm very pleased with where we're at um, in these early stages, um, you know, of my time as a head coach. Pat, you've, you've worked with an abundance of experience, as you mentioned there, during your time as an assistant, but you've also got an element of experience as one of your assistants now in MLS managerial legend Dominic Kinnear. How much are you continuing to learn from him? Every day. Every day. It's great. I, I pick his brain on a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know, because he's been in, in my shoes and, and has had success. And so um, being able to, to work with Dom and um, and have him, you know, as a part of our staff, I'm very fortunate and, and pleased to be working with him. Um, there's so many little things that, you know, uh, come about throughout the day where if I don't think I have the answer, I have no problem asking how he would have handled, um, you know, different situations and he's honest and he'll, he'll, he'll let me know, um, you know, what he thinks, um, is, is the best approach and whether, you know, that's the approach I take or not. It's, it's really helped me to, to get, you know, certain things right, um, early on. And so, um, you know, I, it's easy to see why he's, you know, achieved success in this league. And as a manager, um, with his, you know, knowledge of the game, with how he treats people, um, you know, he, he connects the dots in a lot of ways with our entire staff, not just the coaching staff, but the support staff. Um, and so, He's uh, he's he's been a great addition, and uh, I really enjoy working with him. Do you think the the pedigree of just winning has been something that you've been able to carry into FC Cincinnati, having done it as a player, having done it with the Revolution, having done it as an assistant coach with the Galaxy, and as we talked about with uh, Philadelphia Union under Jim Curtin as well, bringing that mentality to Cincinnati that there's this expectation now, knowing that the last few years haven't been great. Since they've joined MLS, just bringing that sort of level of quality and I only know how to win kind of a, an attitude. That's like what we talked about when Ozzy Alonso came here from Seattle. Right. All he knows is winning and making it to the playoffs. So there's a certain level of you know what the expectation needs to be. I think so. I think so because you, you understand in certain moments, whether it's, um, you know, moments of success where we win, you know, 2 nothing last night. Okay, that's that's a good feeling, but understand that you know it, it still wasn't good enough for for a variety of reasons. Um, and when things aren't going well, understanding how to how to message um, certain things to the group to keep people motivated and moving in the right direction. Um, you know how you uh, 
how you bring along players um, in the good moments, the bad moments to, to make sure that, you know, they understand that you believe in them. I think that's very important and not just the players, you know, the, the staff that you work with, making sure, you know, when, when, when people do things successfully, when, when they do it the right way, acknowledge that. Um, and when things uh, aren't up to, to par, when, when we're not uh, holding each other accountable or doing things the right way, to have honest conversations about it and, and make sure that, um, you know, you message uh, things in a way where, you know, when you leave that conversation, there's motivation to go and do it better the next time. And so I think having been around, you know, a Bruce, a Ziggy, a Stevie Nickel, as far as managers are concerned, Bob, uh, with the national team for a brief uh, uh, spell there. When you see successful coaches and how they manage um, their players and their staff in, in, in certain moments throughout the course of, you know, a game or a season, uh, it helps you to, to then send the right message at the right time, um, you know, now that I'm in that same position. And so I do think that the success that I've been fortunate enough to um, experience in, in this league has helped, you know, early on and just um, raising the bar and having accountability in everything we do and, and not settling for, you know, a, a win that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, feels great, but, um, you know, it's just one step in the right direction. But how are we going to achieve our ultimate goals of, all right, if it's making the playoff, if it's holding a trophy, uh, how are we going to get there and not um, getting complacent along the way? So uh, I, I would say that's a long-winded answer to say I think the previous um, success that I've experienced just as a player and a coach uh, with various organizations um, is, is helping early on to, to get the buy-in from players and, and to get you know the most out of them. Now then, Pat, one thing that FC Cincinnati have never been shy of doing is spending money. They've brought in some big money players over the course of the last couple of years. Brenner and Luciano Acosta straight away spring to mind. But you've added in a much deeper role in the centre of midfield today. Obina Norbodo is the new Nigerian central midfielder, designated player. What sort of a signing is he and how has he fared in his first two games? He's uh, he, he fills a void in the midfield, you know, uh, uh, an area of our game and our team that, you know, we, we didn't necessarily have as far as his ball winning ability um, and his ability to cover ground and, and deal with, um, you know, the, the most creative uh, players, attacking players in our league. Um, you know, he's, you know, kind of been thrown right into it. He's only been here for, you know, a little over a week. And so we're trying to bring him along in a, in a intelligent way you know, way where um, we can kind of layer on and layer in the uh, the information of, you know, how we operate, how we want to play, what his role is. And, and there's been plenty of conversations prior to his arrival, but now that he's here, you know, how do you uh, integrate him in, into the team? And so um, he's, a, he's a great character. Uh, he's, you know, got um, qualities, you know, with and without the ball that are going to help us, you know, play in a certain way and so um i think you know those from the outside are going to see um you know soon enough a player that um is gonna make life difficult for opposing uh, attackers but he's also got some ideas with the ball about you know when we win it how do we go forward and how do we control the tempo um he has an engine that 
uh, and an explosiveness that it, it allows us to do certain things uh, with and without the ball that you know will help us be successful. So um, really, really pleased that we could add him to our group. And, uh, um, you know, I think he's going to be a big part of, uh, you know, any success that we have moving forward. What do you think, Pat, is the most important thing for this team to find success consistently? Is it, you know, locking down on the back line? The goals will come with players like Vasquez and Acosta and, and others that you have that have talent going forward? Or is it, what do you see when you've arrived and this isn't like your roster per se stepping into right. this job? It's a combination of both, right? I think early on we were, we were leaking goals, um, too easily. Uh, it, it wasn't hard for teams to, to break us down um, and, and finish plays off. And even in the games where, you know, defensively for large stretches, we were solid. We would have one or two plays where, you know, it, it was, um, you know, a lapse in judgment or maybe one or two players that, um, you know, were making mistakes where you just couldn't recover from them. I think that part has improved to allow us uh, to get some results, but on the other side of it, uh, we've left too many goals out there. We, we've created some pretty good chances, I think, consistently um, through 10 games to, to be scoring more goals and to be playing with leads, um, you know, for longer stretches. But in front of goal, we've been, uh, I think, um, inconsistent and, and not hungry enough and, um, and confident enough to to score goals. And so that part needs to improve if we want to continue to, to have success. And so it's a little bit of balance of both of those things. And as far as the personnel, you know, um, sure, maybe not everybody uh, that you would like as far as, you know, profile of player and positions um, is in place, but, you know, you try to get the most out of everybody on your roster, everything you have. So we're, we work hard with, with our guys to try to, um, to get them moving in the right direction and, and to make sure that they can contribute for us. And, and for some, it just takes longer um, based on what we're asking uh, the physical demands based on maybe uh, you know, positional uh, requirements and, and, and the unfamiliarity of, of some players and what they're being asked to do. And so that can take time. And so we're, we're trying to be patient and make sure that uh, we continue to work with guys to, to see if they can provide what we're looking for. And I think in a lot of ways early on, um, it was challenging for, for some guys um, just based on fitness level, previous playing style, which is understandable. But slowly, you know, as, as you get more games under your belt and more time working together, uh, the understanding becomes more clear. And so I, I think we're seeing, you know, at least more contributions um, from, you know, um, from our roster and, you know, it's helped us to get results. But, you know, we certainly have a long way to go as far as, um, you know, consistency and in, in performances and in, in how we execute. And, um, you know, it, it's it's not something that happens overnight. We knew that. But um, I, I am pleased with at least the, the mentality of the group uh, to try to do some of the things that we're asking. Well, Pat, before I ask you about Minnesota United, isn't there, isn't there a connection here? You're familiar with the D St. Aubin name, aren't you? I'm sorry, say that again. You're familiar <laughs> with the, the D St. Aubin name, I believe, didn't you? Oh, of course, of course, yeah. of course, yeah, of course. I'm sure, uh, Bobby, I think Bobby I still back. thinks he can play, so if you need somebody to lace up the boots, I'm sure yeah, I'm, he might pull I'm a sure hammy. I'm sure he but, can. Yeah. I'm sure he can. Well, I'm, I'm with him. I, I, I try not to compete in that 
manner anymore because I, you know, I don't maintain in a way that allows you to just go out and do explosive action. So there's usually a, a pull muscle, but Bobby was, uh, Bobby was a good player and, and a, a really good teammate, um, good character. So, um, you know, it's always the, the trip to Minnesota where, you know, we connect briefly, you know, we don't get to spend enough time when we're in, in market. And obviously with COVID we're in and out, but, um, you know, it's nice to see a familiar face when you're in, you know, the opposition's, uh, you know, stadium. I, I keep hearing the D St. Aubins aren't bad players. I'm yet to see Kendra have a good game, actually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, I didn't come from the same gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's around the corner. Um, in, in all seriousness, though, Pat, what have you made of Minnesota United so far this year, and what sort of a challenge are you expecting on Saturday? Yeah, they've had a, they've had a difficult schedule as far as just when you look at you know the quality of opponent that they played early on with Austin with LAFC. Uh, you know, starting the season in Philly, you know, and, and home against, I think it was Nashville's second game. But so looking at just the, you know, the the results based on the, you know, the schedule, uh, you know, it's um, they're in a good place. And, you know, the the talent, uh, I mentioned it, you know, just earlier in, in talking to our group, uh, this is an attacking uh, group that is, it can be frightening. Um, I think Reynoso's, one of, if not the most creative attacking players in our league. Uh, I enjoy watching him play the game. And so, um, you know, he's one of quite a few. Loud, I, I, loud excuse me, I, uh, you know, I like how unselfish he is. I like the way he attacks the goal. Um, <clears throat> so there's, you know, there's a lot of experience and quality with, uh, with this, you know, with this Minnesota team um, that, if if you're not defensively organized, um, it can become a really really difficult uh, game for you. So that's certainly something that we need to to understand if if we want to find any success in the game. But um, you know, it's also uh, a team uh, that in that environment um, knows how to get the the crowd into it, knows how to uh, make the opponent feel a little bit of pressure. So um, you know and. I really enjoy coming to that stadium. Uh, it's it's such a it's one of the top venues um, in our league, and you know Adrian's done a great job of of managing the group in, in ways where you know they're uh, they're tough to play against. Um, and so we know we're in for a really difficult um, game. You know, coming off obviously the midweek as well. Um, you know, we have to be um, taking inventory as far as you know putting out a 11 that's going to go out and compete, but have the energy to go out and match uh, the quality and, and, and energy of, of Minnesota. And so um, I enjoy, I enjoy them from afar, th their group. And so um, it'll be nice to, to get in market and, and have a really uh, challenging uh, matchup, you know, and, and the physical center backs, you know, I can go through it that the, the Jamaican uh, contingent at the uh, outside back position, um, so there's just a lot of league experience and quality that, you know, allows their group to understand how to manage games, whether it's with a lead or, you know, if they're coming from behind, they have the quality to, um, you know, to get back into games. So uh, it'll be a, a great test for our for our group, you know, and especially coming off a couple of decent results, um, you know, to see how we go in, you know, with the right confidence, but also the the right awareness of, you know, the quality in front of us. 
I know you didn't realize you signed up for a home and home with Toronto in a midweek a midweek game there on the Wednesday right. night. You were the only other team playing on Wednesday night in the home and home. I thought it was a schedule mistake when I saw you guys played Toronto twice in, in the same week. But when you look at a, a team like Minnesota United and really any opposition that you're facing on the season, how much when it's a new group for you do you have to focus on what the other team is doing or what you're trying to accomplish with your team? Right. Yeah, good question. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of it right now is uh, is focusing on ourselves um, and and trying to continue to 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 grow and understand you know how we want to play, um, how we want to manage games. Um, but having said that, we also you know we utilize the the two days prior to um, you know the opposition as as ways to address, you know, what's in front of us. And so this is a little bit unique just because of the quick turnaround. So, you know, today is, um, you know, more, you know, guys, we, we don't have our full group out there. So it's basically two days of recovery to see who's available um, uh, to start the game and, and as a reserve. So, um, you know, our conversations about Minnesota, which you'd like to have throughout the week, you know, start this morning. And so it's, it's a quick turnaround, but, you know, that we also have a staff that works hard in, in, in understanding already, you know, what what's in front of us. And so my focus w was solely on, you know, Toronto. And once we get through Toronto, then then we focus on Minnesota. But I get I get brought up to speed very quickly because, you know, of, of the work that the, the assistants are doing in, in preparation. So, um, you know, again, you'd like a full week when you're playing a quality opponent like Minnesota. But. Uh, it is what it is. We had a schedule change that uh, had us move that Minnesota, um, the Toronto game, you know, to to the midweek. So, um, you know, over the next 48 hours, it's you know conversations, it's sending out information about the opponent, you know, on an individual level, and then collectively just to to make sure guys get the right information so that when they step on the field on Saturday, um, you know, at least we're positioned to to hopefully have some success. Last one from me here, Pat. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's going to be sort of backs against the wall type mentality, but are you expecting to be pressed? Are you expecting to have your backline fairly deep and, and perhaps going direct to be okay in this type of game? Or, or, or are you comfortable to move it down the, down the channels and in between the lines? I hope we can have an, an intelligent uh, balance of both. Um, I, I don't want us to be... Uh, direct and and I don't want us to um, you know on a consistent basis as far as balls over the top you know when's the right time to play in behind if if we have you know the the runs to goal and and if there's space behind but when's the right time to play I think that's been a you know something we've talked about with our group is finding more courage in in moments where we can play through pressure and um, you know especially in recent games where we've been playing with a lead having you know being a little bit more brave and, and keeping the ball on the ground and and trusting that if we move it the right way and if our spacings uh, what we want it to look like that you know we can play through the pressure of the opposition and and then you know it just allows you to to then think about different ways to attack whether it's out wide or or over the top um, you get a better balance and so I would like us to be brave that, that's been the message you know every step of the way is um, we don't want to be a team that, you know, sits back and just takes on pressure, you know, because we're playing on the road. We don't want to be a team that um, has to play uh, direct at any sign of, of pressure. So we're, we're still working on that. We're still trying to find the right balance, but I, I want to see our guys be brave in, in certain moments to, to keep the ball on the ground and, 
um, and try to play through. So um, hopefully, and again, <laughs> this is me talking on Thursday, hopefully um, you'll see, you know, uh, an opponent that um, has ideas of playing, you know, on the ground and through pressure, um, but also understands game management and, and the moments where, okay, maybe our, uh, direct option is the best one. So, um, you know, and, and certainly defensively, we need to be really organized and connected uh, against a team where when you have a, a player like Reynoso, it, his 1v1 ability to open up the game um, causes teams so many problems. And so we need to understand what it looks like when those 1v1 matchups don't go our way and how, you know, we're able to defend um, you know, facing our own goal, um, how we're dealing with runs in behind, because um, when you have game changers like that, no matter how organized you are, once that 1v1 moment breaks down, once you have a player like Reynoso who can, who can face goal or be on the half turn, he sees all those movements going to goal. And so our back line, you know, our, our goalkeeper are going to be under pressure in ways where we need to be prepared for that. I lied to you, Pat. One more. Um, What's that? I said I lied to you. What? One more for you. Um, be, be, because of the the intricacies of FC Cincinnati and the changing of the roster over the course of the last couple of years, and now you at the helm, what is a good season for FC Cincinnati this year? Well, you know, maybe publicly we don't always talk about you know um, holding the trophy or, or, or playoffs. Um, my message to the group every every game is when we step on the field, we should expect to win. And if if you know we go about it the right way, we have the the personnel to do that. I think we've seen that early on um, in, in being able to win in different ways. But um, you know, not knowing what it was going to look like as far as um, you know, ten games into the season when this whole thing started, uh, it was we need to position ourselves after you know a few months of the season to. Um, to be able to make a meaningful run in the summer and, and in you know once we get into the fall and at the end of the season, so I think we're in a good place to be able to to position ourselves to compete for a playoff spot, which is which is certainly the goal. But early on, it was you know create you know a, a way of playing and, and a, a clear identity of what we wanted to do on the field and what, what we wanted the culture to look like. That was a huge focus for us. And now that we're 10 games in, it was also, okay, how do we position ourselves, um, you know, to be in the mix, to, to be going into the summer uh, with enough wins under our belt where we're talking about the playoffs. And so um, right now, yeah, we, we want to be a playoff team, but we understand there's, there's a lot of challenges in front of us um, that we're, we're going to have to put in a lot of work to, to get there. But I do think we have the personnel um, and we're moving in a direction where, um, you know, that's uh, that's a reasonable goal um, in, you know, as the season uh, winds down. Pat, look, we really appreciate the insight. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you guys uh, on Saturday. That is Pat Noon and the head coach of FC Cincinnati. Our thanks to him, to Kindred D. St. Aubin, Evan Entler and everybody else behind the production scenes here at Minnesota United. You've been listening to The Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. From all of us here, we'll see you on Saturday.